0: Problem solving with Jesus, out of John chapter six. Guys, we live in an, ex- an exciting time. The 21st century is an exciting time to be alive. We are living in a time when advances in technology and science is making many things better. Transportation's becoming safer. Food is more plentiful. Life expectancy is increasing We live in a world where many people want it to be free of nuclear weapons and it's something to dream about and work towards. Through advanced research skills, including the understanding of genetics, we are on the cusp of curing many of the diseases that we know of in the world. Through global social cooperation, we can together eliminate starvation More people have access to education than ever before, and that's just increasing. Humanity is rising up, reflecting the glory of God, causing heaven to come to earth. Guys, the 21st century is an incredible time to be alive, and God has chosen us to exist during this time. And I want to say this. I believe the millennials and Generation Z are not a problem. I believe they are part of God's solution to the world. The future belongs to dreamers. The future belongs to the optimists. The future belongs to the hopeful. We have before us great opportunity, great potential to reflect the glory of God, to bring Jesus to this world and everything Jesus touches becomes better. Everything Jesus gets involved in improves and we're carriers of his presence, character. We're those who reflect his glory. So I'm glad that you're alive today. There are, there are all types of, of visions and dreams and all types of things that we can do together. Even though some of these might seem lofty, and they may seem big, and they may seem impossible. Well, we know that with God's help, we can do great things. But with every great problem, with every great uh, a, a dream to, to achieve, there is something in the way called a problem. <laughs> There is something that stands in in the way of what we hope for and what we want to do, and that is an obstacle that we often identify as a problem. Problems can seem overwhelming. Problems can be interpreted as unpassable mountains. Problems can steal. Problems can discourage. Problems can stop progress. But God's here to remind you today that problems are not something designed to stop you. In fact, the Lord wants you to know that the problems you face are actually a catalyst for you to become everything God's called you to be. Problems through God's uh, design and plan are actually opportunities. Problems are a chance for God to show his glory in your life. And so what we do is often we get discouraged because we think because we're facing a problem or we're facing an obstacle or something is not easy and something is difficult that God doesn't love us and God hasn't favored us and God has not blessed us. But the truth is, is that God is using problems in our lives because guys, we are problem solvers. That's what God designed us to be. So every problem before you is an opportunity for his glory to manifest. Jesus said this. He said that in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Your problem has not caught God off guard, he's not surprised. Your problem is not something that, that is overwhelming God. You may feel overwhelmed. You may not know what to do, but God sees the end. God is sovereign. You're gonna see that through the scripture today. God knows what the solution is and God is using the problem to bring out his best in you. And so that's why today is a day of encouragement. I see before us, I see before my eyes today problem solvers. Problem solvers. That's what you guys are. Now, we can imagine a really big problem now. I don't want to stimulate negative thinking, but it's not hard for you to come up with a big problem, a big problem in your mind. And I want you to see something that the big problems and the small problems really take the same solution. The principles we use to solve small problems actually help us with big problems. What we do is we panic when the problem seems big. When the problem seems like it's too big, we go into a panic mode. And I know this is because in my family, we have a panic gene we've all inherited. We just catastrophize and we just make everything bigger than what it's supposed to be. So I've learned to be a little calmer. And one day I learned it accidentally. Some of you may remember this. I used to just get so uptight here at church when stuff went wrong, like if, if the microphone wasn't on or there was a misspelled word on the screen and it just was like, just drive me nuts, you know, or if something was said from the stage that I didn't want it presented that way, I just got all uptight. Well, one Sunday, everything was going wrong, like everything. It was a terrible Sunday and I was just so overwhelmed. I was just so just overwhelmed. I'm like, I, I'm, done. I'm done. I'm done trying to manage all this. So I just stayed real quiet and calm and I was really pouting is what I was doing. You know, so I just, all morning I just pouted and I was like, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. When the services ended, Roger Shea, who is our sound man and a leader here in our church, he came to me afterwards. So he goes, pastor, I need to talk to you. He said, you were, it was just amazing today how calm you stayed when everything went wrong. And I just want you to know that I just learned a lot from you how, how calm you were all day. I was like, man, I do it all the time, man. That's just how I am. Well, that that was a formative story because I thought, well, you know, Roger is calling something out in me that I accidentally did right, but he's probably correct. And since that day, I've tried to stay calm. So I tell my kids all the time, don't panic. So Abby, I told you about her earlier. She wrote me this nice little note. And she wrote me this note around Father's Day, around her graduation. She said, dad, you always tell me don't panic. And I especially told her that when I was teaching her how to drive and that kind of stuff. Don't panic, thank you for that. Well, the only reason I know that is because I panicked most of my life. And I've learned just to calm down and chill, chill, just chill. So I'm just telling you, just chill out. The big problems and the small problems, they just are all the same. The other day, our family, we were all, you know, eating dinner together. And like a 21st century family, we all were on the phones together. Or on our own phone. And I went, oh, you know, and, and I don't do that very often anymore. I was like, oh, my gosh. And, I, and everybody said, what happened? And they thought, was there a worldwide catastrophe or has something negative happened in our nation? And I had to admit to them that my fantasy baseball pitcher was injured. <laughs> I felt like such a dork because I was a dork. I was like, oh, no. So stay cool. So whatever big problem you're facing Whatever big problem you're facing is no different than you running out of toothpaste in the morning. So that's a problem too, isn't it? If you don't have toothpaste, because everyone should brush your teeth every morning. But it may have happened to you before, it doesn't happen to me very often because Beth provides toothpaste for me, but she tends to like me to brush my teeth and so toothpaste shows up. But if I, if I ever had this problem, and I've had it before, where I'm out of toothpaste. You know, the first thing you do is you, you, you can work with the tube and roll it up and put the thumb right underneath. And sometimes like that last bit just comes up and it gets you through the morning. So you can solve the problem that way, right? Or you can go to another bathroom in your house and find your kid's toothpaste. And discover that Cinderella toothpaste tastes better than Colgate toothpaste. It's like all sweet and pink and good and all that. And if the kids are out of toothpaste too, then you can decide to drive to the drugstore and go to Walgreens or CVS and just hope you don't run into anybody who invades your personal space and talks to you like this close and buy some toothpaste. But the point is this, if you you encounter the small problem of running out of toothpaste, you apply skills to solve the problem. What happens is we have really big problems come up in life and we're overwhelmed, we're like, it's just too much. I'm just gonna shut down right now. It's just too much. I can't even think about that because it's too much. But if we apply the same principles of a small problem to a big problem, God's gonna help us and we're going to accomplish those things. And so we we see in the scripture today that that Jesus encountered a problem. And the problem was that people needed to be fed. And this wasn't new to him because as our creator, God created us to solve problems. When we were in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, let's talk about Adam first, he had problems to solve. And God told him, name all of these animals. God told him to cultivate the garden. So this idea before sin even entered the world, God was giving problems to solve because it's part of our development. And it's part of our maturation. And then when Adam could not solve the problems on his own, God brought him an equal. Notice I didn't say God brought him a subservient person. Out of his side, he created an equal, a female. Male and female, they're compliments. They're a completion of one another. They're they're so much compatible. They're so compatible that the two are actually one. Male and female come together and together they glorify God through their work and through solving problems. Each gender identified as unique and equal and chosen of God. And So it is that before sin entered the world, that God was causing us and calling us to solve problems. So here's the truth. You are going to face a problem. I hope that's not bad news for you today because here's the good news. You are going to solve the problem and you're going to solve the problem because Jesus is going to be with you and Jesus is personified through his church. We are the body of Christ. And so problem solving usually occurs within the Christian community. When we cooperate, when we work together, when we are in accountability, when we're encouraging one another, when, when we work through things together. Here's the first thing, the first point I wanna to observe today is that we must acknowledge the problem. This is from John chapter six. This is a similar point to last week's point. When I said evaluate, our notice, see what's around us. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. Verse, this is John 6, verse one. We read it earlier and now we'll reread it. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. And Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the, pas- now the Passover of Jewish festival was near, verse five. So when Jesus looked up and noticed, there's that word again, you gotta look up and notice what's happening around you. A huge crowd coming towards him. Look at this part. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Isn't that an interesting question that Jesus asked a question? Now, why did Jesus ask the question? Did he ask it because he didn't know the answer? Well, no, the scripture tells us, uh, it's very clear in verse seven, of Philip, uh, Philip um, excuse me, verse six. He asked this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do Philip answered him 200 denarii or you know it's like a a currency there worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have even a little so Philip identified the problem but Jesus asked the question he didn't just give him the easy answer That's what we want. Jesus, tell us what to do. How many times have I talked to people and how many times have I been the person talking to my spiritual friends and leaders and saying like, why won't God tell me? Why won't God give me the answer? Well, sometimes God gives us the question instead of the answer. He knows the answer. He's sovereign. He knows what he's going to do, but he doesn't tell us what he's going to do. Instead, he asks us, what should I do? What should I do? Or more precisely in this scripture, what should we do? What should we do? How should we solve the problem? Because the question is it leads us to the processes that help us understand and depend upon the Lord. If it was just easy, if he just always provided everything we needed immediately when we asked, like he was like, you know God God on demand, God has to do what we say, and God has to do what we command him to right now." You know, we wouldn't be fully developed people. We wouldn't understand his character. We wouldn't understand his plan. We wouldn't understand community. We wouldn't understand that God's timing is usually not about us. It's about other people. And so he doesn't give us everything when we want it and how we want it because he's looking at the whole kingdom. We're just looking at us. We're looking at us. I want this to happen now. I want this to happen now. But God's looking at his purposes and his kingdom and how it advances. And so he, he asked Philip, where will we buy the bread? Why? God has a purpose in your problem. He wants you to solve it, but he wants to help you solve it. He wants to be in relationship. He wants to get involved with you. Here's the second point. We identify resources. This sounds very corporate, doesn't it? Identify resources. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? He said, this is all we've got. We've got a boy and we've got five loaves of bread and we have two fish. Thank God for my wife. In the first service, I kept preaching. I said, two fishes. And that's why I cannot post the next sermon (laughs) because it's not fishes. It's two fish. All we have... It's five rolls and two fish and one boy. And all the resources we can identify. Do you know we naturally default to what we don't have? We naturally say we don't have enough money. We don't have the right personality. We don't have the family connections. We don't have enough time anymore. A lot of us, a lot of us are thinking that now. Guys, listen, if, if you're in your 60s or 70s, you still got a lot of time. I'm serious. Come on, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds. The, 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 there's lots ahead for you. It's a new day. It's a new day. Think, think, life doesn't end at 59. Thank God for that. Hey, there's still things happening. We've got rock stars who are touring into their 70s. How about that, huh? The Titans defensive coordinator last year, Dick LeBeau, was 81 years old, and he was a good one. So... If you're in your 70s, your 80s, keep going, keep moving, keep doing, keep dreaming, keep believing. Uh, Don't say that I don't have enough time. Don't say I don't have the connections. I don't have the energy. You have exactly what you need to accomplish what God wants you to. And he says, identify the resources around you. Let me ask you this. What's around you? What is near you? What do you already have? The resources you already own are usually the resources God chooses to use. We're people who look at what we don't have while God looks at what He's already given us. He said, I've already given you what you need, I've already given you what you are going to need to accomplish the next thing. And God wants us to see what's in our hand, to identify what's in our family, to know what's in our house, because we can't just live thinking that someday I'll get involved, someday I'll take the first step, someday I'll be ready. God says, you're ready now. If I've given you an idea, if I've given you a dream, if I've given you a vision, everything you need is near you. Everything you need is close to you, because God can take, Five loaves of bread and two fish, and he can use them in ways we can never imagine. God's going to use that child. Yeah, that one. He's going to use that child. God's going to use that job, the one you have to go to tomorrow morning. God's going to use that friend or that frenemy. You know about a frenemy? It's the person who's your friend, but it's really your enemy, depending on the day. God's gonna use your frenemies in your life. God's gonna use that connection. God's gonna use that opportunity. God is gonna use what's already in your hand. And and whatever is in your hand, he wants you to use. He doesn't want it to spoil. And so when we identify the problem and we identify the resources, here's the third thing. We initiate The action. I love this about Jesus. Jesus initiates action. John chapter six, verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Thank goodness for leadership. I can actually say, thank God. Thank Jesus for leadership. Somebody take charge of the group. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down and the men numbered about 5,000. Now, I, I wanna give some commentary to the scripture here. The reason that we knew that there were 5,000 men is somebody had to count. Can I just tell you that someone has to administrate? I love all of you artists, people. I love you mystics. We've got artists who can create. We have mystics who can spend time with God. But I thank God for all you practical people who actually count Count how many are here I thank God for you practical people who administrate. We could have a move of God and the glory of God can move in this place. Someone still has to watch the kids, right? Someone has to still be in the parking lot. Someone has to make sure the air is conditioned and that all of the things happen. And so this is how God uses his gift. And Jesus was an administrator. I mean, Jesus did administrate here. To get ready for the miracle, he had to administrate what's happening. He had to have the people sit down. He had to categorize the people. He had to count the people. So thank God for you who have administrative gifts. We need you all. We need you creative people. We need you mystics. We need you administrators. Some of us are all of that. Depends on the day, right? Depends on the mood. Depends on what we want to do that morning. So somebody counted and someone organized the data. Verse 11. 11. Then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed to, them, to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. That's the miracle. Everyone got filled. Everyone was filled up. And when they were full, so they, they ate quite a bit, he told his disciples, collect the leftover so that nothing is wasted. Let me give some commentary here. Jesus is a conservationist. Yeah, he is. He cares about waste. And he doesn't want us to waste. So if I can tell you a pet peeve that I have, all over the places that I work and the places that I live, I won't name these places. There are water bottles that are like halfway full. Like people take two sips and put the water bottle back. Like that's clean water. And plastic is... Not good for our health. We're, have you, the research of bottled water. And it's terrible for our landfills. I'm waiting for that. Glory to God, amen. Now I use water bottles a couple of times a week. But I'm trying to phase them out. Phase them out. Because up, up until about 1996, water was fine through the faucet. And now we have to drink bottled water. So anyway, I just want to say that. I'll get back to my sermon So they collected them, verse 13, and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Have you ever noticed that there were 12 leftover baskets? Probably because there were 12 disciples, and Jesus said, Hey, all 12 of you have to carry a basket to let you know that there's always enough with me. Jesus initiated because he understood this principle. That the greatest gap in the world is between a great idea and a first step. You know, it's easy to dream and it's easy to talk. And in fact, when we dream and when we talk, everything's safe. Right? It's fun actually. Let's let's dream about where you know what we're going to do. Or, and and it's safe. The dream is safe and easy because there's no consequences. So because of that. Very few people actually take a first step, but God can't really give direction to something that's not moving. And so in his sovereign plan and will, he gives us a dream and he gives us a vision and then he waits for us to initiate it because once we initiate, he can give direction. He doesn't give us every step. He doesn't even give us the third and fourth step. He just says, get moving, get moving, take a step and let me direct you. Beth and I have a great friend, many of you know, uh, named Jackie Chapman, and she used to go to church here. She was in the music industry, and she was a, she's a single young adult, and at that time when she was younger, God called her to do work overseas in the Middle East, and to do that, she felt like God called her to move to California and to study at one of the most prestigious seminaries, Fuller Theological Seminary, to get her master's in missiology. And then from there, she moved to the Middle East where she is today and where we support her work there. And that was a really brave thing to do. So one day we were all talking and I asked her, I said, Jackie, how did you, as someone who who had lots of challenges, how did you quit your job here in Nashville and 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 go to seminary and then move to the Middle East. And so she answered me dryly. She said, well, the first thing I did was downloaded the application to Fuller off the website. (laughs) (laughs) Then I filled it out and sent in a $35 application fee. Didn't have any money, didn't know how she would access money. The point is this, is sometimes when God's calling us... Just take that first step and the first step leads to the second, the third, the fourth and the fifth and we go on. I heard a great leader teach on a podcast uh, this week. It says, people with ideas are not necessarily innovators. People who do ideas are the innovators. I'm gonna say that again. People with ideas are not necessarily innovators. People who do ideas are are innovators. The God who calls us to initiate, to take a first step, is a God who can do more than we can imagine. Ephesians chapter three says this, now to him who is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. The God who calls us to take a risky faith-filled first step is the same God who will do for us more than we can imagine if we can trust him to move forward and to follow his will and purposes. The show West Wing came out in 1999. I enjoyed watching that. In that show, many of the staff would say this when a conflict came or something difficult. They said, I serve at the pleasure of the president. This spoke to history, it spoke to respect, it spoke to authority. Even when they disagreed with the president, they would say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. And so it is for us as dreamers, as problem solvers, we serve at the pleasure of Jesus Christ, the president of president, the mayor of mayor, the senator of senators, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's the last point today. We point to the Messiah. We point to the Messiah. In the ministry of Elisha, there was a scripture that I came across this week that I'm sure I've read before, but I did not remember. It's a, it's a story that pointed to this story in John chapter six, second Kings chapter four, verse 42. A man from Baal Shalisha came to the man of God with a sack full of 20 loaves of barley bread From the first bread of the harvest, Elisha said, give it to the people to eat. But Elisha's attendant asked, what, am I to set this before a 100 men? Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and they will have some left over. So he set it before them, and as the Lord had promised, they ate and had some left over. This is why when Jesus did this for the 5,000 men and their families, They knew he was special because the God who fed the people with limited resources was the God who was truly the Messiah. In fact, they had sung about this great king in Psalm 145 verse 13. They sung these words, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You, your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. Can we say amen to that scripture? Amen. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you. Now look at this phrase I have on the screen. You give them food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And I want you to think about that phrase. You give them food at the proper time. Can I tell you that God is going to give you food at the proper time. God's going to give you the right job at the proper time. God's going to give you the recognition at the proper time. God's going to give you the promotion at the proper time. God's going to give you the connections at the proper time. God's going to give you the opportunity at the proper time. The food you need. The sustenance you need. uh, the connections you need, the, the uh, presence of the Lord that you need comes at the right time through our God who cares for you. And John chapter 6, verse 14, this is the conclusion of our passage today. When the people saw the sign he had done, saw that there was leftover food he had fed the 5,000 men and their families, they said, This truly is the prophet, not a prophet. He's not like Elisha. He's set apart. He is the prophet who is to come into the world. The Jesus who provided the impossible, who took the little, the five loaves, the two fish, the little boy. He took what was impossible. And he multiplied it because he cared for the needs of his people. And he had an open hand and he wanted to provide for them. And I say, Jesus, amaze us again. Jesus, take our lunch, take our five loaves, take our two fish, take our young boys and Feed the multitude again. Feed them the bread of life. Feed them the sustenance of heaven. Feed us the living word of God. The same Jesus who did it for Elisha, who did it for God's people. The same Jesus who did it on the mountain mountainside for the people who needed lunch. He's the same Jesus that's going to come through with every single thing you need to live in his will and live in his purposes. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.